The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, we say good morning to Sabrina Nanji from Queens Park Observer, Bob Reed, principal at BroadwayStrategy.com, the guy behind Touchdowns and Fumbles, which you can hear on Fridays with Jerry Agar, and Marco Mendicino, MP for Eglinton Lawrence. Good morning to you all. Uh, let's, morning. A- let's actually start with a conversation that we had earlier this hour, and that was with a city councilor who's advancing the idea of cracking down on what are called rent evictions. This is where tenants are kicked out. Sometimes they don't even really do much of a renovation at all, and then they bring people in and charge them twice as much. Marco Mendicino, I'll start with you on this one. Does this seem enforceable? Well, I think it does if it's for the right reasons. Um, Look, the law prescribes that there are are certain bases on which um, landlords can evict where they're doing legitimate, significant renovations. They got to provide notice. It's got to be in writing. It's got to be, you know, based on an actual renovation. But um, we know sometimes that, that, that there's bad faith evictions. And so I think it's important to have protections in place for tenants. Um, the law prescribes a process by which they can uh, appeal. And I know that in the in the city, uh, the big challenge right now is just getting access to affordable rental housing. So I think it makes sense to have a protection in place and there will be some cases that are, are legitimately appealed. Bob Reed, it does seem certain that renters are pretty hard done by these days. Yeah. And while I like the idea of additional scrutiny to make sure that uh, landlords are playing by the rules. Um, I am concerned about another layer of bureaucracy, another layer of paperwork, another layer of enforcement, uh, and particularly another layer of cost on Toronto City Hall that apparently has no money for anything. So I I think it's well-intentioned and I think kind of a creative solution that Hamilton's brought in, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure just how workable it is for us. Yeah, although Sabrina, some of the infrastructure is already there. For example, a guy knocked on my front door quite recently and asked me if I'd done the renovations I'd applied for a permit for, and I actually hadn't, but I was very surprised to have a guy standing there with a clipboard double-checking whether I'd done renos. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe the system works. Um, I, I, I mean, clearly this is a compelling policy from Steeltown where, you know, coincidence coincidentally, ex-NDP leader Andrea Horvath is mayor because over at Queen's Park, the NDP has actually been long calling on the Ford government to make some of these changes uh, at the provincial level. And we all know municipalities are creatures uh, of the province, right? And kind of curb these bad faith uh, rent evictions. Uh, but the PCs have shut that down. I mean, specifically, the NDP had proposed that new tenants would pay exactly what the last tenant paid, which kind of eliminates the incentive to do one of these bad faith uh, rent evictions. But it's not the first time municipalities have been forced to go it alone on the housing front. I mean, when it comes to fourplexes uh, to boost density, I mean, that's something the Greens want Queen's Park to do province-wide, but that we've seen municipalities do piecemeal. So I do think there's an opportunity here for the government, but I think we're going to see other cities and towns kind of go it alone and follow Hamilton's lead here. Investigative reporter with CTV, John Woodward, has been on a bit of a tear of late about police and how they drive. And in particular, I mean, the first report was all about how many tickets they were racking up and not all of them while they were actually speeding to the scene of a crime. Um, But now it turns out when he tried to reconcile the police department with the database of tickets issued, a whole bunch of those tickets turned up missing. So, Bob Reed, I pay the ticket when I get it, but apparently some people in the Toronto Police Department don't. 
Isn't that convenient? It would seem, <laughs> and 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 really troubling. I mean, there's 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 very much a, a, an issue here because this just feeds into a perception that oh well, the police are above the law if if the tickets that have been issued are just plain disappearing. So there's there's something here that needs to be addressed. I expect we'll hear from the the chief in fairly short order on this because uh, there there is a response that's required. On the other side, though, part of me thinks, well, this is kind of uh, savings for the taxpayers, because with automated cameras, the ticket goes to the owner of the vehicle, which is the police department, which will have to pay the fines. Sabrina, some police officers already get double consideration, and they'll always deny it. But I know for a fact that there are certain ways that you indicate on your private car that you are a police officer or a firefighter, and you never get tickets. But in this case, it's about moving violations. Yeah. um, And I think, you know, Bob hit the nail on the head here. Like, where is the transparency? This really doesn't do anything to help with diminishing trust between communities and our police. And meanwhile, you know, we've just approved a whopping $20 million budget hike. So like, where is the transparency here? The public has a right to know this information and good on John Woodward and CTV for pushing it because I'll say it before, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Our freedom of information system in this country is broken. And this was a two-year battle just to get, you know, what little information that Woodward was able to get. And so I think this is really going to open up a can of worms for the police. Although Marco Bob Reed makes an interesting point, which is the these are going to be tax dollars paying off the the penalties so we're just transferring money from one pocket to another yeah that's right and as i said on your show before I, I think it's important that police have the resources and the funding that they need and i'm glad to see that the mayor uh did a, a bit of a reversal on providing uh, some additional money for for cops and look um there will be situations where if in an emergency they have to break um the hta laws that are there uh, for people's safety but that's not what we're talking about in this case what we're talking about um are the kind of uh, tickets that just seemingly have disappeared They've evaporated into the ether. And so, again, I think, um, you know, my two co-panelists have made the most important point here, which is that there needs to be transparency and accountability. And like you, John, I expect that the uh, police chief will have something to say about it pretty soon. On the 8th of April, the moon will obscure the sun. And apparently we don't know what to do about it. Uh, Sabrina Nanji, Toronto Catholic teachers are asking to work from home for safety reasons. Give me a break. Like, just don't look up. <laughs> just don't look up. I mean, this is the sort of stuff that really takes away from the serious issues in our schools that, that need to be addressed. Um, I think a lot of people are going to be looking at the at the Catholic school board and thinking, like, what are you guys thinking? Um, I, I said the, the last time we spoke about this that this eclipse is kind of a missed learning opportunity for students. And while I can understand there's, you know, maybe liability with the kids, the teachers are adults and the peak is late afternoon, like a around 320. So give me a break. I think this is silly um, and it's really going to backfire on the public perception for, for teacher unions especially. Yeah, Marco, it's not like it's a wave of radioactivity. It's the moon crossing in front of the sun. <laughs> Total eclipse of the heart, last time blinded by the light. I'm running out of musical metaphors on this one. <laughs> I, look, I, I'm with Sabrina. I, I think this is not a new phenomenon, uh, and I think there's an educational opportunity here. Everybody is for uh, teacher safety, staff safety, student safety, but there are some basic common sense 
uh, ways in which I think we can achieve that. We've been doing it for for as long as I think schools have been around. So yeah, I'm in Sabrina's camp on this. Listen, let's jump to a couple of other things. Um, according to an investigative report, corporate pressure led Shoppers Drug Mart staffers to call people, call clients, and ask them about their medication. And Marco, I'll start with you on this one. It's a lovely idea that an expert would talk to you about your medication and maybe contraindications and stuff like that, but they were getting 75 bucks a pop. So really it was just about trying to drive up sales. Yeah, exactly. And I think as long as it's not just to make a buck, um, look, we're living at a time when it's important uh, that we have access to pharmacare. Um, you may have noted uh, a few days ago that um, the federal government just recently signed a deal uh, with the NDP uh, or reached a deal, I should say, with the NDP on pharmacare. So access uh, to affordable medicine is important, um, especially uh, coming out of the pandemic and with all of the mental health issues that folks have got. Um, but again, it shouldn't be on the basis of corporate pressure that these calls are taking place so that, um, you know, pharmacists or other folks associated with uh, a particular uh, big corp can make money. Okay. And Bob Reed's on the phone this time. Bob, we're talking about this business of Shoppers Drug Mart. It may not be isolated to shoppers, but this investigative report dealt with that chain. And staffers calling up clients to talk about their prescriptions, which, as I was saying, is a lovely idea, but it seems like it's more about trying to get 75 bucks a pop. So the system and and uh, being able to bill uh Taxpayers ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, for for something that uh, that isn't necessary and is being done purely in the name of ringing up billings. So this is a this is a major major issue, uh, something that does need to be investigated. And and it's it's really unfortunate because uh, I think as Marco was just saying, um, we've gotten really used to really quickly pharmacists doing a lot of things that are actually helpful in taking pressure and costs off the rest of the healthcare system. So this is a real black eye at a bad time. I want to jump to something else, but uh, Sabrina, I'll take advantage of your being here to uh, hopscotch to this story about Queen's Park being closed for repairs. This is the first I've heard of this, and apparently they're out shopping for legislative space and office space and all that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is something that Queen's Park has been working on for a while, but you're forgiven for not knowing much about it because no one really knows much about it. They're keeping really hush-hush, um, and I guess that's for a lot of reasons, you know, commercial reasons, uh, security reasons, and all that, but we don't really know anything, namely, you know, how much this is going to cost. It's expected to be over a billion dollars. If you look at what happened over on Parliament Hill, I mean, there's a chance that it could exceed that. Um, and we don't have an alternative venue yet. There's a lot to consider. Um, you know, uh, I mentioned security, space. Uh, I can't really imagine having, you know, the chamber in a warehouse. Um, and, and time is ticking because the minister, Paul Calandra, his goal is to get this done by 2026. But it's a 131-year-old bill it's long overdue. Anyone that's ever been there, I mean, I love Queen's Park. I highly recommend you guys take a tour, especially the haunted ghost tour around Halloween. I, I do it every year. <laughs> there are leaky pipes, asbestos, exposed wiring. I mean, it's either a sauna or a refrigerator and usually the opposite of what we want it to be depending on the season. So it's about time. But also, I think we really need, again, transparency on this because for folks like me that have an office at Queen's Park, I mean, I don't know where we're going to be in, in two years. And uh, there's a lot to figure out. Well, Marco Mendicino, they created a temporary House of Commons, which I think should be a keeper. It's gorgeous. 
It, it sounds like a renovation, John. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. They raised the um, rent. Look, I, so as a, as a sitting MP in the House of Commons, we're actually undergoing this right now. Um, the center block is under renovation. It's going to continue to be for a number of years. And so um, we found a, a suitable building right adjacent to in West Block where there is a temporary um, House of Commons there. And you look, I, I think I think the important thing is to lay out a plan. Um, again, as Sabrina said, that is transparent so that, um, you know, taxpayers know that they're getting a good value for money in this renovation. But a lot of these buildings are very dated uh, and they need to be upgraded. Um, and so I think it, it makes sense. But ultimately, the government's just got to bite the bullet, um, do the renovation, find a suitable alternative location where they can con- conduct the people's business. And um, I just know from experience that it takes time, but, it, it you know, be transparent about it. Thanks to you all. Good to have you. In spite of our technical uh, hiccups, Marco Mendicino, Bob Reed, and Sabrina Nanji. Bob Reed will be back on Friday with touchdowns and fumbles. Catch the roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.